0: Good Thursday afternoon, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is the I Love Seaville Show. Thank you kindly for joining us here on this network. Our show is broadcasted on every social media platform known to mankind. We bring news, localized, personalized, and humanized to the palm of your hands. Smartphones are ubiquitous, almost an addiction. And we're trying to do our part of making that news feed a little bit more local for you. We want to thank the good doctor of Scott Wagner Integrative Medicine being a proud partner of today's show, Scott Wagner. Our firm has worked alongside him for nearly 13 years. I've seen amazing things from Scott Wagner. Scott Wagner Chiropractic and Sports Medicine. Um, Judah Wittkauer is the director. Before I forget, I'd like to wish Judah Wittkauer a happy birthday. I encourage all the viewers and listeners that are watching this fine and fair talk show to give props to Judah B. Wittkauer known up and down the uh, eastern seaboard as J-dubs all-around nice guy. What you see on this program is who Judah is as a person, consistent in demeanor and mood, true to his word, and a man of, of character that is second to none. Judah, if you could, do us the favor and welcome a studio camera and then a two-shot as we welcome another man that embodies those qualities, Jim Hingley on the show. Jim, thank you kindly for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you for uh, having me on the show. I'm- always enjoy being here.
0: We love having you. Uh, I mentioned to Jim off-air before the show started, the man is looking quite dapper today. He's got a fresh haircut and new glasses over here. And I think this is the first time in his five or six rodeos on this network that I've seen him wear this shirt. He's looking quite, quite smooth today. Um, Jim, for the few folks that do not know who you are, perhaps we start with an introduction. Um, not Jim Hingley, the attorney, just Jim Hingley, the man.
1: Well... I, uh, I'm i currently the Commonwealth's attorney of Albemarle County, so enough said about Jim, the attorney. Um, I'm a long-time resident of Central Virginia. I moved here in 1971, which uh, I guess by the calculations we have now, puts me at more than 50 years as a resident in this community. Uh, I love living in Central Virginia and Charlottesville, Albemarle County, Uh, It's a great place. Um, I have raised my family here. I have three children who are all still uh, living in Charlottesville, and um, they have um, blessed me with seven grandchildren. So it's an exciting time in my life um, with my children and grandchildren close by. My grandchildren range in age from... Uh, 11 down to a few months.
0: Put in perspective um, the challenges and tribulations of being a father versus the challenges and tribulations of being a grandfather. My wife and I have a five-year-old and a seven-month-old. And goodness gracious, Jim, this is quite difficult right now. (laughs) Um,
1: Well, I think it's fair to say that um, grandparents... uh, serve a different role than parents Uh, and having been in both roles uh i enjoy them both i loved being a parent and uh and i also love being a grandparent Uh, obviously a difference is that you're not on duty full-time as a grandparent Uh, and so uh, that gives you the freedom to pick and choose uh, when you're going to to um enjoy the company of your grandchildren and the things that you're going to do and it makes it very special because you are uh, um, contributing to their development but you're not uh, totally responsible for for their development so I enjoy I enjoy serving in, in I guess what you would say is an ancillary role but it's just fun to be with the kids and uh, it's fun to do things with kids again, things that I remember having enjoyed with my own kids. And, and once they grew up, I didn't do that so much anymore. Um, and now I get to do that all over again. And it's just a joy um, to be with uh, young children uh, and watch them grow up and enjoy the activities that they uh, do and, uh, and to see Uh, how they develop and mature so it's been great
0: what is uh what's an afternoon with the grandkids like for the hinchleys when the uh grandparents have a little supervision and give a break for the parents
1: well we do all sorts of things um uh actually uh I've, i've introduced them to timber lakes oh and we do an excursion to timber lakes which as you know they have real milkshakes so that's a, a Charlottesville thing to do. Um, we go to the movies sometimes at the Paramount, the big screen. That's fun. Um, we do bike riding. We do hiking. Um, and, um, and, and we do more elaborate things sometimes. I just uh, oh, three or four weeks ago took three of my grandchildren to Pittsburgh to see um, a Pittsburgh Pirates baseball game. And, uh, and some, do some other things in Pittsburgh. But uh, my oldest grandchild is uh, playing baseball now and has an interest in baseball. And, and this is an opportunity to spend a weekend off uh, traveling with them and go into the baseball game. So that was a, a more um, complicated than an afternoon, but a lot of fun.
0: You have a couple of attorneys watching you right now. John Blair, we love you. He says, uh, happy birthday to Judah Wiccar over here. Scott Aaronworth, the fantastic defense attorney from Virginia Beach, says, happy birthday, J-Dubs. Stephanie Wells Rhodes and Keswick says the same. Kevin Yancey and Waynesboro. Quite a few uh, folks watching the program right now. Before we get to uh, a couple of topics um, that we're um, excited to champion, do your grandkids have an idea of what uh, Mr. Jim Hingley does for a living? Oh, yes. Yeah? And they, do, where does the nuance level go with grandkids with what you do? Because, you know, I hope they're watching this. Your grandfather is a very, very important person.
1: Um, well, uh, thank you for saying that. I, I'm not sure that, that um, to a child that they would... Understand the role that I have in the community, in that sense. Uh, but they more understand it as I'm the prosecutor, and so I get lots of questions about, oh, well, what would happen if this person did this, or how do you do that in your work? So it's more, um, it's more focused on uh, questions about um, criminal prosecution, which is in. For a lot of people, kind of a fascinating subject, and, and it is an important one, you know, in terms of how the prosecution is done in the community. But, but they, they have questions, of uh, detailed questions. Uh,
0: I find it to be a very fascinating topic. Um, in fact, what we're going to champion and spotlight today, um, I can't wait to celebrate and applaud you for your effort. Why don't we start with an open ended question so you can set the stage? I'm going to mention the gentleman's name, John
1: Henry James. The show is yours, sir. All right. Well, thank you. Um, John Henry James is an African-American who was lynched in Albemarle County on July 12, 1898. Um, So as I think you mentioned at the beginning of the show, this is really a gut-wrenching thing for us to discuss Um, And before I get into the details of what's going to happen uh, shortly in relation to this, uh, I just want to say that um, it's important, I believe, for our community to confront the history of racial injustice that has happened in our community, it's happened in communities across the country. in order to be able to repair the legacy of that ra- racial injustice. So that's what um, is really the underlying purpose of of what we're going to be doing on July 12th of 2023. And uh, if you do the math, July 12th of 2023 is the 100th, 125th anniversary of the lynching of John, Henry James. So, um, as the commonwealth's Attorney in Albemarle now, and looking back on the history of this lynching, um, I feel um, as a as a member of the community, I, I feel um, how how I feel uh, revulsion at what happened in our community this injustice but as a member of the community but I also feel that our justice system failed um, in a a particular way uh, beyond the horror of this event the justice system's response to it um, was was awful and so in some way I'm attempting as the current commonwealth attorney to address the injustice of the system and its response to this event 125 years ago. So there's really two parts to this. Um, And and what I have done is filed a motion in Albemarle County Circuit Court to dismiss the indictment that was brought against John Henry James back in 1898. And um, maybe if we could have a shot of the indictment that might be interesting to the viewers. Um, it's on screen. All right. So this was the, uh, a copy of the actual indictment. You can see it's in handwriting and it's, it's kind of what you would uh, expect to see back in 1898. So um, let me back up now and tell the story that gets to the point of this indictment. And the story is that John... Henry James was arrested on July 11th of 1898 on an accusation of um, a sexual assault against a white woman. And he was taken to the jail, the local jail, and there was some um, concern because those sorts of accusations arouse a great deal of, of emotion in the community. There was some concern that that he, Mr. James, might be taken from the jail and lynched. And so, as a precaution, which I suppose was a good thing, uh, they took him out of the jail and put him on the train and took him to Stanton. So he spent the night in Stanton uh, as a as a protection against the possibility of a lynch mob coming to the jail. And so On the morning of July 12th, the next day, he was returning to Albemarle County for his first appearance in Albemarle Circuit Court on this accusation. And on the way back to Albemarle County, the train he was on was stopped, and he was taken off the train by a mob, and he was lynched uh, in a location near what was then uh, called Woods Crossing. And today, it's in the area of Farmington, about four miles west of downtown Charlottesville. So he was taken and lynched. And there was a large lynch mob. And the people in the lynch mob were um, not masked, made no effort to conceal their identities. Um, And after they finished hanging Mr. James. They shot numerous bullets into his body, uh, so it was a hanging and a, and a shooting. And of course, um, they murdered him on his way back to Albemarle County for his appearance in uh, circuit court on this accusation. Now, uh, here's where the justice system comes in and here's where the justice system failed miserably, Um, the Commonwealth's attorney at the time, Mykaja Woods, was presenting evidence to a grand jury. And we believe from the historical record that this was a false accusation, but nonetheless, the grand jury was receiving evidence from the Commonwealth's attorney, and they were in the process of deciding whether to issue an indictment. And again, I think we displayed the indictment, but the indictment is a formal charge, and you have to have a formal charge in order to proceed uh, with a case against somebody who has allegedly committed a crime. So while they were in the process of doing that, word came from Woods Crossing, that Mister James had been taken from the train and had been lynched, and he was he was killed. And so this is where I mean we have to draw some inferences and and uh, try to imagine what was going on at the time. But if you are deliberating about filing a charge against somebody and you know that they have been killed, then there is no point to indict them or charge them because, well, for obvious reasons. And yet, in the face of that knowledge, the grand jury continued to deliberate and returned the indictment. And so I can only imagine, and I think this is a fair inference to draw, that knowing that Mr. James was deceased, they nonetheless wanted to uh, put an accusation on the record, a formal accusation on the record, as if to say to the community, this man, although he's now deceased at the hands of the lynch mob, this man was accused of a very serious crime and put this in the record. And I see it as a... as. Um, an attempt to justify the lynching. It's like, see here, look what he did. Look what he's accused of de- doing. Of course, he didn't have a trial. He couldn't have a trial. But nonetheless, I look at what the grand jury did as an effort to uh, make a formal accusation on the record to justify, it, as to the extent that it could, in the minds of the community back then in 1898, you can imagine it would have some some value to justify The killing, the the extrajudicial killing of John Henry James. So I see that as the first major failing of the judicial system, which was to pursue an accusation against somebody who had been lynched. Uh, And for all the reasons that I said, all the, the reasons that that's unjust. The second thing, and I think this is also important, especially in terms of our understanding the history of racial terror lynching. All of the people who participated in the mob that lynched John Henry James were, uh, as I said before, not masked, and they were known who the people were. There were officials in the crowd um, that lynched um, John Henry James, and yet the justice system did not respond with any investigation uh, did not respond with any effort to bring the perpetrators of this murder to justice. And so um, that's another thing that, another way in which the justice system failed in a way uh, that we have to confront if, as we think about the history of this lynching in our community. So what to do about it? Uh, I have filed a motion to dismiss the indictment, and the motion will be heard on July 12th, that's next Wednesday, at 4 o'clock p.m. in Albemarle County Circuit Court. And of course, this is a public proceeding. This is a proceeding that will be on the record. And uh, the purpose of the proceeding is at least symbolically to to, uh, dismiss the indictment, which was unjustly brought against John Henry James, we believe, uh, but also to give the community the opportunity to hear the story in the context of a court proceeding, to hear this story, and for the court to make a ruling on the record, just as the indictment is on the record, uh, to make the, for the court on this occasion, July 12th of 2023, to make a ruling on the record dismissing the indictment. Uh, And, of course, the request, the motion for that dismissal will be accompanied by evidence um, of the events of 1898 and the reasons why the dismissal is warranted. So it's, um, it's it's kind of twofold. It's a response of the justice system today to an injustice of the past, but it's also an opportunity to make a historical record a court record, and this will become part of the court record, to make a historical record of this um, racial terror lynching that occurred in our community.
0: So I'm going to look at this from just an average Joe layman's perspective. On July 12th, which is six days from now, yes, on a 125-year anniversary within the boundaries of the law, which you know inside and out, you are going to look to clear a man's name and his reputation, document the trail. So perhaps 125 years from now, we can learn about this. Maybe it's my grandkids or my great grandkids in history class about what transpired. I think this is fantastic. Um, I think this is something that you, which I would imagine, your caseload is pretty heavy and pretty significant, and you're a pretty busy man, did not have to do this by any means. This is Jim Hingley, Mr. Hingley, going above and beyond the call of duty. What inspired you to put this equity, sweat equity and work into into this project, into this case?
1: Well, um, let, me, uh, let me say that the work that we're doing um, in connection with this court proceeding coming up next week uh, is part of a broader effort to confront our painful history and, and build a more just future. Uh, And when I say it's part of a broader effort, let me uh, explain. This is part of a community remembrance project. And the community remembrance project is a project that um, is supported by the Equal Justice Initiative. And people may, may not know what the Equal Justice Initiative is, but when I explain it, I think a lot of people will have heard about it. The Equal Justice Initiative is the um, uh, it's the National uh, Peace and Justice Memorial in Montgomery, Alabama, and it's the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama. And the two components, the memorial and the museum, are part of the project that Brian Stevenson. Um, has been a leader of founder of really and leader of for many years and um, Brian Stevenson has actually come here and spoken several times in this community Um, and he's a a lawyer who has done a lot of work in defending people who are charged with capital murder Uh, and he's expanded the scope of his work to uh, encompass uh, the museum and the memorial, and um, and so um, it is it is the work of the Equal Justice Initiative that has inspired me to do this as part of the community remembrance project of the Equal Justice Initiative. And so the uh, National Memorial for Peace and Justice, people may um, recognize that as the place where there are um, tablets hanging um, to memorialize the documented lynchings that the Equal Justice Initiative has, um, has documented over the years. I think they have over 800. And so... Um, the, these are very large iron tablets that hang in the National uh, Museum for Peace and Justice, National Memorial for Peace and Justice, and, and Albemarle County has one that memorializes the lynching of John Henry James. So I, in April, I went to the uh, National Memorial and the Legacy Museum, and I was, it's it's a very moving experience. I, I just have to say, a very moving experience. And it left me um, with a desire to do something, uh, something more. And, um, and so that's what led me to uh, look into the history in more detail um, and to um, feel that there was something that we could do in the court system to address this injustice And that's what brought me to the point where I filed the motion and we're going to have the hearing on July 12th.
0: Um, I'm going to weave in, um, in a minute, the efforts um, that you and your office have done in relation to August 11th, 2017, when we had Nazis carrying torches um, in Almaro County. Um, You, very active, um, this year... Uh, with utilizing the power of the court um, to pursue charges against Nazis that terrorize the community that we love both so dearly. I want to ask you first about legacy, your personal legacy. I asked a similar question of Mayor Lloyd Snook, who's going to be on the program in a couple of weeks, also an attorney. You know him well. Yes. Do you consider your personal legacy? You're going to enter your second term on December 31st as the Commonwealth's attorney. You have a legal career that is absolutely peppered with victories and and positive um, outcomes. Um, When you consider the word legacy as it means to you, how do you also consider the word legacy as it perhaps meant to John Henry James? Meaning John Henry James, his legacy, out of no control of his own, for 125 years, six days from now, had this scarlet letter on it, had a stigma associated to it. Does that ever go through your mind, your legacy, and this man's legacy, and how it was tarnished with no control of his own? And how did that maybe motivate some of the work you're doing now?
1: Um, Well, I'd have to think a lot about that. For to think of a legacy that's connected in some way to John Henry James, um, I I think uh, I think you've touched on one aspect of it, which is the prosecution of the people who participated in the torch march on uh, August 11th of 2017. Um, and whose hateful conduct was directed at African Americans, to be sure, at Jews, to be sure, at other groups, but basically, um, this was uh, an occasion when white supremacy was on the march. And so you might connect it to John Henry James because what happened to him was uh, white supremacy on the march. So if I might say some of my legacy would include the prosecutions of people who participated in that um, march of white supremacy in our community and holding them accountable, I think in that way ties back to John Henry James. Um, so I would I would count that as part of the legacy. Um, I would also, um, speaking more broadly, uh, talk about the um, the campaign that I ran in 2019 and the promises I made, and one of the big issues in the campaign was eliminating mass incarceration. And so mass incarceration is something that's happening in our country um, that results in more African-Americans being uh, imprisoned and punished um, than would make sense in terms of the proportion of African-Americans in the population. And so people who study history and think about issues like mass incarceration have said that, um, and I believe this, that mass incarceration is um, a legacy that we have. That legacy comes from slavery. and after the abolition of slavery, it comes from um, the, the injustices that white supremacy uh, brought to African-Americans. Uh, and one of those injustices from the very beginning was, was the use of prison as an alternative to slavery. And there are prisons in the South. There were, and uh, I, I don't want to speak about presently, but there were in our history after the abolition of slavery prisons that were places that African Americans were taken on trumped up charges and and uh, forced <coughs> into labor that was akin to slavery, if not Actually, slavery. So, you know, we have this legacy coming forward, and then we have segregation, and then we have um, racially disparate um, policing. So, we have a whole uh, constellation of things that relate back to the legacy of slavery and white supremacy that are still happening. So, one of those is mass incarceration. <coughs> And so I would draw that connection again, that my work, my effort to, to end mass incarceration and bring a different kind of justice to Albemarle County uh, is part of that.
0: How have, um, how have his descendants f- and family responded to you? Have you heard from them?
1: Well, uh, unfortunately, we haven't been able to, um, at this point, um, connect with any descendants. Uh, Mr. James had been at the time of his lynching a resident of this area for a fairly short period of time, and we don't know um, about his family members. so that that may um, be something that that we'll um, not be able to accomplish in terms of making connection with them.
0: Have you considered and and he very um, very deftly sidestepped? My question about his personal legacy here. Have you considered how this could shape or mold your personal legacy when we consider your time, which is now about to be the second term as Commonwealth Attorney of Albemarle County?
1: Um, well, I, I think his personal legacy is. Um, as a martyr, he is a martyr who was killed by white supremacists, and um, and it's a terrible thing. As Judah said earlier, it's a gut wrenching thing to think about. Um, think about him being tortured and killed, and that's what it was—torture and killing. Um, and so, as happens with people who die in circumstances like that, we try to make something of their death to bring something positive out of a horribly negative thing. And I think that his legacy is that he is a marker to us, a marker to our community, a signal of the past that we have to confront if we're going to have a different future, a more just future. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, he, he sacrificed his life to give us that. Uh, and I think we need to make use of it. And so maybe that's how his legacy is shaping mine. I feel, I feel that um, it's, it's extremely important to take something away from that sacrifice and put it to uh, use in our community now, and that's what I'm trying to do.
0: There's the beautiful answer right there. That's it right there. Um, we talked about the uh, August 11th, 2017, Nazis, the torch carriers on grounds at the University of Virginia. Yes. We talked about this earlier on this show, earlier this year. Um, it was a talking point because some viewers and listeners thought it was perhaps um, unnecessary to pursue the torch carers when it was say six years ago. I took the stance that Mr. Hingley is making an example of these Nazis and he's making the example so folks know not to come here to our community and do this again. I thought it took courage. I thought it took vision. I thought it took effort and sweat equity. I thought it was the right thing to do. Walk us through your initial thinking um, with pursuing the torch carers of August 11, 2017 on grounds at UVA, a school that you love dearly.
1: Yes. Um, Well, I'll touch on one thing that you touched on, and that is one purpose of prosecutions like this is to send a message. Uh, to set an an example that when people uh, are thinking of doing something like that, they know that this is not a community to come to uh, because this community doesn't tolerate that kind of white supremacy, that kind of hate, that kind of harm. So, yes, part of it is to uh, put a sign up, you're unwelcome, if that's what you have on your mind. But another part of it, and equally important, if not more important, is for the people who were harmed, and the people who were harmed are the people who were there and the victims of this. Uh, but also, the whole community was harmed. This was a, this was something that that. Affected all of us. It affected all of us deeply. So still I, to this day. Still to this day. So, so, one of the purposes of this prosecution is to address that harm. And I will say that I have received very many communications from people who were harmed um, and who are grateful that that harm is being addressed by these prosecutions. So it's two parts. It's the example that we said. It's the sign we put up saying this can't happen again. Uh, And it's also uh, holding people accountable for this harm uh, brings closure to the people who were harmed.
0: Olivia Branch is watching in Keswick. She says, bless this man, referencing Jim Hingley. Kelsey Schmidt is watching in Crozet. One of your best interviews yet, Jerry. Jim Hingley, we're lucky to have him in office. More comments like this, Mr. Hingley, which I will get to here in a matter of moments. A number of folks wishing Judah Wickhauer a happy birthday. Throw this to you. Was the response overwhelmingly in support of your effort, or did you have a response that was mixed for your effort?
1: Um, it... it. There were two sides uh, to the response, and um, the vast majority of the responses I got, the things that I heard, were positive about the prosecution. There were some negatives, and and, uh, I'm sure your listeners understand there's always going to be... Of course. There's two sides to every coin. Sure.
0: Absolutely. But Uh, yes,
1: the vast, vast majority were positive
0: moving forward I'll put it in perspective we had um, with the Johnson Elementary which we covered well a few weeks ago um, during Pride Month that video made it to Fox News as you know then about a week later the homes around Johnson Elementary were peppered with flyers that had Nazi hateful propaganda and messaging on the flyers. The group that did the flyer, the flyering around Johnson Elementary was linked to um, a group that was here during the summer of hate of 2017. What is your hope or what is your intent? Hope is uh, a word I don't often like to use. What is your intent? With this proverbial legal sign, you're not welcome in Almaro County. How can your office, those that follow you in the next term, continue that momentum? How do we keep it in the new cycle? The, the, the everyday thought of folks because I see often and I hear often hosting this show I get a lot of these stories from folks that are saying these flyers are out there or, I saw these folks driving around and they were waving this Nazi flag around downtown so I guess what is your intent I hate to use the word hope for maintaining this positive momentum that you're you're leading the charge of
1: well let me try to draw a distinction here. I, I don't know anything about the the flyers that were sent around or the waving of the Nazi flag, other than, you know, what you just said, which is sort of available in the media generally. Right. Um, and I, I don't know an, enough details to know if, a crime was committed in any of those instances. Um, and it's not, since it happened in Charlottesville, it's not my jurisdiction, sure. so it's not my place to to uh, think about that or investigate that. Um, and so I, I guess your question is, you know, what's my intention, my hope?
0: And also, where's that line?
1: Yeah, well, that's what I'm going to get at, is, yeah. is basically when I say you're unwelcome, in our community, as a white supremacist, as a Nazi, you're unwelcome in our community from my perspective. I mean, they're unwelcome in our community in a lot of different ways. My particular role is as prosecutor, you're unwelcome because the kind of things that people like you, people like white supremacists and Nazis have done in our community in the past are crimes. That's my purpose in these prosecutions. One of the purposes of this prose- these prosecutions is to send a signal that that kind of conduct is a crime. And, and as you know, these were not prosecuted at the time. And so there may have been, there was, let's put it this way, there was some confusion on the part People about whether marching down the lawn, carrying torches and and chanting, chanting uh, hateful things, and surrounding people and and intimidating them, whether that's a crime or not, and um, and there's there's some. Disagreement about that, and that course, that's why we have prosecutors, and that's why we have courts. So, I believe it was a crime, and I prosecuted, am prosecuting people who participated in that torch march.
0: What what led it to passing the line?
1: Well, um, in your eyes? Well, in the law's eyes.
0: In the law's eyes. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
1: Um, it it isn't just carrying a torch and saying hateful things it's carrying a torch saying hateful things that intimidate others and place them in reasonable fear of bodily injury so it's it's not a contact crime it's not like an assault and battery but it's it's a crime where your contact conduct harms somebody else in a articulable and provable way and so that's what the crime is and so one of the messages of these prosecutions, and we have gotten some convictions so far, we have other cases pending, and I'm not going to speak about the specific details obviously. Sure. But but one of the things that comes out of this is that message to people who thought that there was no crime. There was no harm in them marching, holding torches and and saying hateful things. Now because of these prosecutions, the message has got to go out. And we're talking about a, a targeted message here, too. We're talking about extremist white supremacist groups. Message is going out to them, oh, that's not in Virginia. That's not acceptable conduct. That's not protected expression. That's a crime. If you come here and do that, you're going to get prosecuted.
0: Well, I applaud, I applaud the court for this effort. Um, especially um, especially um, as we continue to heal from this summer of hate Um, and I know with the guests that we interview and the folks that we chat with on the show that it still very much resonates in this community as we both know Um, and speaking of flyers as a segue in in the business here we saw that um, very pertinent are very part of this past campaign cycle and you like me are a uh, close political follower especially of the local races especially what happens in Richmond um, especially what happens in the state senate so why don't I start open-ended here as two political junkies if you may here what would you make of this past um, political cycle we saw uh, Races that perhaps I thought would be more competitive not end up being so competitive. But I'll ask pointed questions here in a, in a moment. What do you think of the, the political cycle that just transpired?
1: Well, um, I, I guess the political cycle is the primary election, and so it's the Democratic uh, election, Democratic primary. The Republicans didn't have a primary.
0: And Charlottesville and Almar, that Democratic primary is often the political cycle in Charlottesville and Almar.
1: Uh, uh, no, I agree. <laughs> I, 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 I agree, but but not always. Um, and so I am... Um, I, I guess I would first say that... Um, you have to appreciate what just happened because it's an important part of democracy. And um, as much as one favors one candidate, we all have our favorites. We all have the people that we support, um, knowing that sometimes they win and sometimes they lose. Um, And and that's painful when you see somebody go down that you supported, but. Overall, you have to just appreciate the, the democracy at work that this last political cycle um, showed us. Also, I would say that uh, it's good for the party. Some people say, well, you know, hotly contested primary elections harm people going into the general election, exposes weaknesses. Uh, things like that, and, the, and it's fair, you know, it's, it's one person's opinion against a, another's, but I take the position that uh, the political cycle that we had is good for the Democratic Party, it strengthens the party, it helps the people who, who win the nominations to uh, hone their messages, uh, but it also brings more people into the process, and that's positive. Uh, And I think Sally Hudson said that, and I think very uh, correctly said that, um, you know, we are getting more people involved because we have races that generate interest. And I think that's a good thing. And I think going into November, uh, even though there's probably not too many local races that are going to be uh, seriously contested by the Republicans, but nonetheless, going into November, we have a new energy and excitement among the electorate and a lot of new voters. So I think it's a good thing.
0: Probably the only race that I see on paper, and everyone's got a crystal ball and not every, anyone's clear, yeah. is is maybe the T.J. Fadley, B. Lepisto-Kirtley, Rivana District, Almar County Board of Supervisors race. That one on paper, I think, could be the tightest with the Republican maybe having a shot to win. State Senate, I think it's safe to say Creed Deeds has got a pretty heavy, uh, pretty likelihood of winning here against Philip Andrew Hamilton. Um, Steve Harvey, respect Steve Harvey and what he's trying to do. Steve Harvey earned some votes against Ann Malick in 2019 for the Buddha yeah. Board of Supervisor race. Steve Harvey's not gonna get a victory here, and I'm not trying to poo poo by any means, but it's just the nature of the district. Um, Amy Lawford against Kellen Squire very much captivated the voting public and was a hot topic on this program, especially in the home stretch of the race, because of the tactics, I utilize that word loosely, utilized between the two candidates, specifically flyers and mailers. It's a two part question for you. You mentioned that contested elections drive engagement and In the grand scheme of things are good for the democratic party
1: yeah
0: do you do you feel confident with that statement with the Lawfer squire race and how it transpired especially in the home stretch with the mudslinging and the and the flyer um strategy from ms lawfer and then the second part of the question is were you surprised she won i think it was basically a seven out of ten margin she won there um against the guy in Kellen Squire that I think was almost being, uh, made out to be a good Samaritan on social media, but she dominated this race here. So that's a two-part question for you. Well, um, I know Squire gave, had your campaign dollars, right? Because I remember you saying on Twitter, donate I to, yeah.
1: I, I, <clears throat> I donated to Kellen Squire's campaign, and I uh, endorsed Kellen Squire. So right. that's where I am. Um, No secret, (laughs) right? You put it on Twitter. Yeah, Yeah. no, Uh, and and you know in politics, when you stand for somebody, you you tell people absolutely. Yeah, and so um, uh, I, 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 it's it's obvious. This is not an insight on my part. It's obvious that there's some hard feelings on both sides coming out of that race. Um, and I'm, I'm just not going to comment other than I, I supported Kellen. Um, but but um, the time has passed for those hard feelings. That's what you do in a primary. You know, you two candidates from the same party, they go at each other hard. Sometimes maybe harder than you wish you had happened. But, but once the primary is over, you close ranks and and that's where i am and that's where I, I i've talked to a lot of democrats and that's where the democrats are it's it's time now to to turn our focus to november and to getting all of our nominees elected and and as you say there's probably not too many seriously contested races but if there were it it's as a Democrat, as a long-term Democrat, as an elected Democratic office holder, I want to say for sure that all of the Democrats on the ballot are preferable to the others who are on the ballot come November.
0: How about the um, Creed Deeds-Sally Hudson race? You're on record as a backer of Mr. Deeds?
1: I am up on the record. I endorsed him, and I contributed to his campaign.
0: Right. Um,
1: I think Sally Hudson, who's come
0: on this program, her campaign headquarters was on the second floor at one time. Um, She's a rising star in the party. She is certainly not a blue dog Democrat, which I think I could characterize Mr. Deeds as a blue dog. Uh, Sally more toward the socialist side of the spectrum. What you make of that race, how it shook out at the end, it had a little bit of that uh, trying to choose my words carefully here. I know nastiness is part of politics, especially in like the bottom of the eighth and the bottom of the ninth inning. You mentioned baseball at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm using a baseball analogy. She had a website tied to her campaign and PAC that was kind of, not kind of, absolutely went after Cree and his stance on, on guns and gun control. How do you, what are your thoughts on that? On how that race transpired, especially at the end? And what were you surprised that Cree
1: won? In a newly drawn district. Um, I, w- I was not surprised that Cree won. I believed from the beginning that he would win. Um, and let me turn this a little bit. I have enormous respect for Sally Hudson. And Sally Hudson, as you know, has been in the House of Delegates. And since I was elected as Commonwealth's attorney, I've done a lot of work in the legislature uh, pursuing criminal justice reform. And Sally has been a tremendous ally. So I I respect her as a person and as a politician, but I also have a connection to her where she has worked hard to bring about criminal justice reform, and I totally respect that. Cree has as well. Uh, I'll say that about Cree. But um, but uh, I, I've, I feel very strongly about Sally being a, a terrific politician and having a terrific future. And I don't feel that the campaign in any way compromised her. I think, in fact,
0: Daily Progress wrote sort of a story that almost alluded to that. Because um, I know you read the newspaper, whether it's in yeah. print or online, as much as I do. There was very much an allusion to that of maybe uh, Ms. Hudson should have waited her turn, I think was the phrase they utilized. If she had stayed in the House, she would have been a slam dunk to win again, yeah. undoubtedly. Um, perhaps the Progress actually utilized this as a uh, – made reference to this as an allusion as well, opportunistic with the district rewrite maybe jumping ahead of her turn with Cree having the seniority in the Senate. Um, anywhere you want to go on that?
1: Well, um, I'm, I'm trying to explain why I give Sally a lot of credit yeah. for, for what she did. Um, and, you know, whether she should have waited or gone back to the House, those are decisions for her to make, but she... She threw her hat in the ring, and she ran a great race. Um, and and yes, I think one issue that surfaced very much during the campaign is um, who do we want to represent this district? Somebody with seniority and you know relationships in the Senate, um, who has a long history of getting things done. Um, or do we want new blood? And, and I think it's an absolutely fair question. And I think that, uh, again, going back to what I said earlier about th- this political cycle having a lot of positives, I think one of the positives was to, to put that issue out there in front of the voters. You know, What is it that you think, as a voter, is best for our community? The old guard versus the new blood. Um, and I use those terms loosely, but sure. but um, and, and I think it's a good debate. And, and the voters decided, and it was a narrow margin. But very the, narrow, very narrow margin. Yeah. But the voters decided that we wanted to stick with with the the long term legislator who we have faith is going to continue to get good things done for our community. But that doesn't take it all away from Sally Hudson's position. And she brought she brought a lot of new people into the ballot box and brought a lot of new people into the debate, and so I think that's just great.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think Sally Hudson undoubtedly has brought youth uh, to the box, to the ballot box, um, and we saw that, and it was more narrow than a lot of folks anticipated. I have to ask you about, um, and I believe she contributed to your 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 first campaign, your current campaign now, Sonia Smith. Um, Sonia Smith, Michael Bills, and is it the Clean Virginia Pack? Uh, Mr. Mister Bills's pack right there that he's very influential of? We're talking, and I, and I have to research this. I, I mean, we, we, we both probably enjoy VPAP. I very much enjoy that website. I find most, during the campaign cycle, Jim, I'm spending hours on VPAP, <laughs> almost like yeah. ESPN.com with the basketball and baseball sets, but, you know, we're political junkies here. Yeah. so. I think it was like two or three to one, two and a half to one, Bill's um, the Clean Virginia Pack and Sonia Smith, if you lump them together, obviously the married, and what Dominion contributed to this election cycle. Your thoughts on and I understand Dominion is a very different entity than a, a couple in a pack. King rain rainmaking, and contributions of this magnitude and the influence that they have on local and statewide elections. Um, we're clearly seeing it here. Your thoughts on this? I guess here's a pointed question. Should it be should we look closer at this influence and should there be finance contribution
1: limitations? Well, as you pointed out, I was the beneficiary of very generous contributions from Sonya Smith. Um, Very large contributions that I believe made a difference in my campaign, made a big difference in my campaign, Um, and contributions that were large enough that they would certainly have exceeded what the federal limitations are and some whatever proposed limitations might be. Um, enacted at some time here in Virginia if we move in that direction so um, my my sense of it is that um, it's a matter for debate but right now large contributions are allowed and so, when somebody makes a large contribution, whether it's Sonia Smith or somebody else, and believe me, in the governor's election, we saw a lot of large contributions coming on the Republican side, undoubtedly. So it's not just one-sided. Either. Sure, right. I mean Yunkin himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um, so, when you look at that as how Virginia regulates um, campaign contributions, Virginia's um, Regulation is basically sunshine. It's like everybody knows what's being given and you can take that for what it's worth and people talk about that. You know, we talk about it all the time. It's great fodder. Yeah. yeah. And they even have a special rule that in the last few days of the campaign, if anybody makes a contribution of over $1,000, you have to report it within 24 hours. So the, uh, the idea is that, that we want to keep track and see where the money's going who the money's coming from as a way of, of of deciding about how we want to vote. And so that's Virginia's system and I'm not I, I'm going to leave changes in the system and the debate about whether that's the best thing for us to do to others and I'm not going to I'm not going <laughs> to say anything more about it.
0: That's fair. Um- Charlottesville, we got about, it's one thirty-six. Maybe we go five or six more minutes if your schedule will allow. I sure. love chatting with you. I love chatting with you. Charlottesville City surprised me with the council race. Natalie Osheran, the top vote getter. Now, I think expectation, at least on paper, was Snook and Payne would get reelected. They have the value, the value proposition of being incumbents, and that name recognition goes a long way. And I also want to say this. Michael Payne and Lloyd Snook, they've done a heck of a job. They've done a heck of a job, and what the, the, the coin or the term is, is uh, stabilizing the organization. Yeah. Constantly hearing <laughs> stabilizing the organization. I think Michael Rogers, the interim city manager, even made reference to stabilizing an yeah. organization in his uh, letter that he sent to city employees that we broke the news of yesterday on this program. This is the city, so maybe, maybe there's a little bit more of uh, freedom here. Uh, <laughs> Natalie Osheran, first place. What did the voters say, in your opinion, with her being the top vote-getter? And, second part of the question, Bob Fenwick, last place, Mr. Fenwick and Natalie Oshrin, polar opposites with their platforms. Oshrin, housing, density, upzoning, maybe taxes. Fenwick, tax reduction, no upzoning. Polar opposites with their platforms.
1: Well, I, um, I'm a county resident, so <laughs> uh, I, maybe the thing that strikes me about that is in, in a way like the Cree Deeds and, and, um, and Sally Hudson race. Now, Lloyd and Michael were elected because they'd vote for three, uh, so the, the old guard didn't get tossed out. The incumbents didn't get tossed out. But the new blood came in on top, and so I uh, and and I don't know the specifics and details of her um, platform, but as you've described it, she she ran on sounds like to me kind of a progressive platform. Hundred percent, and it appealed to the voters, and she came out on top. So there you have it. But I know we're coming close to the end here. If I could take an opportunity to just reiterate uh, when this is happening and ask. Judah, if he could put up the picture of the um, historical marker. This is a historical marker that is by the Albemarle County Courthouse, and it is part of the Community Remembrance Project. Remember what I said about this court proceeding being part of the Community Remembrance Project? And so on Wednesday, July 12th, at 4 o'clock p.m., in Albemarle County Circuit Court, uh, I am going to, as the Commonwealth's attorney, make a motion to dismiss the indictment that was brought against John Henry James on July 12th of 1898 as a way of setting the record straight and as a way for us as a community to confront our history of racial injustice. And so uh, it's an open proceeding. I encourage people to come out and uh, be there and, and be a part of it.
0: I have, uh, I have too much respect for you to uh, ask any more about those races. Um, and I undoubtedly respect your position as an elected official. Um, and I'm incredibly grateful for the efforts that you've, you are, you're doing now with um, undoing what is clearly uh, gut-wrenching wrong, as Judah described it. And I'll say this you're a man of tremendous humility. Um, I think when we consider Mr. James Hingley's legacy, 50 years, 100 years down the road, what you have done um, with the August 11th, 2017 um, Nazi torch uh, marchers, and what you have done with undoubtedly um writing a wrong from 125 years ago with john henry james is going to be front and center with your legacy these are the type of um, efforts that resonate for generations to come and often um are remembered and documented in classes like history and conversation that folks may have on the downtown mall moving forward and while walking through Court Square. We're grateful for you. Um, We're lucky to have you. And four more years of of Jim Hingley in Atomaro County is is four more years of of good for Atomaro County. I sincerely mean that. I hope, and I know you're super busy, and you just gave us an hour and 15 minutes of your time, and then you had to drive here and you had to drive back. It's probably closer to two hours. I hope um, that you'll join us again, and I and I can't say this enough: how much respect I have for you, and how much I truly enjoy sitting across from you and this table and just having
1: conversation with you, sir. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate those observations, and um, and I'm happy to I'm happy to have this opportunity to to talk to you and and talk to your listening audience because uh, it's good for the community to hear these things.
0: Thank you. Um, On Monday, we have former United States Congressman Denver Riggleman on the show. On Tuesday, Charlottesville Police Department Chief Michael Kochis on the show. Uh, On I'm looking at my calendar here. On Wednesday, no, excuse me, Thursday, Peter Krebs of the Piedmont Environmental Council. That's July 13th. And then Mayor Lloyd Snook on Thursday, May 20th. Um, I am excited to spotlight stakeholders in this community um, on what we're trying to turn into, the water cooler of Charlottesville, the I Love Seville network. When you see Judah Wickhauer around town, wish the man a happy birthday. Judah Wickhauer somehow manages to stay younger every single birthday. Whatever (laughs) he's got running through that body, he should bottle it up, sir, and sell it because it would be purchased left and right. For Mr. Jim Hingley and Mr. Judah Whitcower, my name is Jerry Miller and this is the I Love Seville show. Thank you for joining us.